Love baby dedications. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I know. This is the way it is. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of First Timothy. We are in chapter 1, starting in verse 18, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 2, verse 4. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to First Timothy chapter 1. If you need a Bible, Richard and Stephen are up, and they have some Bibles in their hands, and they'll bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Everybody there? All right. Paul writes, starting in verse 18, to Timothy, he says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The title of my study this morning is Wage the Good Warfare. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for your word and how powerful, Lord, you speak through your word to change our lives. And Lord, we're just here wanting to hear from you, desiring to to hear, Lord, what you have for us this morning. So we pray that you'd give us attentive ears. We pray, Father, that you would have your blessing in hand upon the teachers that are downstairs as they teach our children your ways and and your, your, your word, Lord. We pray, Lord, again, for upstairs here, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to come into a saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray that they would come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time we committed to you. We ask your continued anointing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's this kid in my ninth grade class, middle school. His name was Shane. And he was the typical bully, the kind that you see if you've ever seen the Christmas story, you know, the, the red hair, the freckles, the braces, and it just kind of has that mean look all the time. And, and this is what he looked, but he was kind of short and stout, always walked around with this mean look on his face. And in my English class, whenever I'd walk by his desk, you know, he would always stick his foot out to trip me, you know, just, uh, you know and he'd laugh as I tripped. One day, though, I'd had enough. I'm sitting there on my desk, and, and I'm writing, you know, my little, uh, okay, a note to this girlfriend, this love note, and, and I'm writing there, and he comes by, and he grabs the paper, and he wrinkles it up. I thought, oh, you can't do that. I mean, uh, you know, I, I stood upon my desk, and, and, and I was going to do the only honorable thing a guy could do in defending his girlfriend. I went to pounce on the guy. So I'm on the desk, right? I'm on the chair of the desk, and I'm up there, and I go to jump on the sky, and I'm going to beat him up. Well, he takes one step to the right, and I go down on the floor, right? And I'm a, and he comes up, and boom, and he just give me this huge black eye right there. And I thought, oh, man, this has not turned out the way I wanted it to turn out. Years later, I saw the same guy. And the funny thing was, he was still about 5'5", five five, and I was about six foot at the time. And I thought, you know, this is the guy that gave me such a hard time I could just, you know, I, I didn't do anything, but I thought, you know, I thought about this kid. Always trying to trip me up. Always wanting to give me that black eye. 
You know what? Satan is the same exact way. In fact, we're told in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, seeking whom he may give a black eye to, trip up. See, for those of you that may be here this morning and may be new to the faith, You've got to know that as you're beginning to make strides in your spiritual walk, as you really begin to go someplace in your relationship with the Lord, you've got to know that the enemy has got his foot out there ready and willing and wanting to trip you up. He's got some lure, some bait, some obstacle that he's got dangling out there so you're going to fall for it, so you can fall flat on your face so we can laugh at you. See, his idea is that if he can get you to fall enough times, then he's hoping that you'll give up this whole thing and you'll quit and your faith will be shipwrecked. You see, just as there are great accounts in Scripture uh, about great men and women of faith that we should pattern our lives after, there are all also those you don't want to pattern your life after. There have been those in Scripture that we read that have been tripped up and fell and made some big mistakes. And some of them, in this case here in First Timothy, these two men we read about, Hymenaeus and Alexander, I don't know if they ever turned around. I don't know if they ever got back up again. In fact, as we look at these two men, it's my opinion, Hymenaeus and Alexander fell victim to Satan's schemes and probably never returned. See, it's for this reason, if you look at verse 18, Paul's heart is to Timothy. He says there in verse 18, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. In other words, Timothy, I don't want you to end up a casualty of war. See, although Paul's letter to Timothy is very practical and has to deal with the local church and Timothy's responsibilities in the local church, we, we do see Paul's great love for Timothy here and this, this wonderful personal relationship that existed between the two of them. Paul calls him his son in the faith, this father-son relationship. And so Paul's personal charge to Timothy as a young man in the ministry, uh, he says, I charge you, verse 18. That word is command. It's like a commanding officer telling his top soldier how to be victorious in battle, that he may wage the good warfare. You see, the fundamental nature of Christianity is that it is a warfare in which all of us are involved in. And there's no exit until the end. The moment you began your Christian life by faith in Jesus Christ, you entered a lifelong battle. And listen, the struggle is not intended to be easy. Many Christians today forget that. And I think helped somewhat by the misleading teachings that are out there today that says, well, once you give your life to Jesus, then the sky is bluer and the, the air is clearer and the sun always shines and you never get a flat tire and you never run out of gas. Just be yielded. You just believe. Well, someone should have told the Apostle Paul that because he was in a battle for his entire life. Because the warfare that Paul is talking about here is is how to be that loving person who has concern and compassion for people even, even when you are harassed and hated by those very same people. It's a warfare to love even when they're giving away to expressions of hate and violence. It's a warfare. It's a warfare to live for the Lord among those who have lost their way and to be involved in their lives, trying to turn them away from that which is destroying them. See, the warfare is to live your life for a purpose, not merely to spend it on yourself. 
So Paul points out in order to do that, it takes three things. And this is our three points this morning if you're taking notes. Faith, number one. Number two, a good conscience. And number three, prayer. Paul begins with, number one, faith. Look at verse 19. He says, Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. That word faith there means uh, continuing to believe the truth. In other words, you're continuing to, to move forward in your faith. You're not moving backwards. See, that, that's the, the, the principle. It's, it's true with our relationship with God. The day you decide that you're not going to come to church, it's such a hassle, or that you're really not interested in, in Bible study any longer, the day you start you know, putting other things ahead of your spiritual walk, then you start going backwards. I've shared this many times. The Christian walk is like climbing a grease pole. You've you got to keep moving, but as soon as you stop, man, you start going back downwards. And this is what Paul is concerned here. You must have a walk of faith to wage a good warfare. Faith is believing the truth about God, about His power, about His control of all of history and all of humanity. Faith is believing the truth about God's love for us. I mean, we have a couple of guys here that started out in the right direction. They were going on the right course, navigating through the Christian walk, but but something happened in the middle of their journey. They veered off track. They started heading in the wrong direction. They got off course and ultimately were shipwrecked, as we read here. In fact, that word for shipwrecked is an interesting word. It's a nautical term meaning to get stranded. The idea here is, is you know, you, you're on a boat and, and you're sailing to, out to sea. You're heading for Hawaii and, and uh, across the Pacific Ocean. And suddenly the wind dies down, becomes very cloudy, and you can't find any compass whatsoever. You, you've lost all direction whatsoever. And you're just kind of kind of floating, going no place, stranded, shipwrecked. We were on our way. We had a destination, a goal, a purpose. But now we find ourselves floating aimlessly. Well, how did that happen? Again, it comes from con- not continuing that walk of faith, not continuing to believe the truth, not moving forward. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Man, we've got to stay in God's Word, give heed to those things, lest we start drifting away in the wrong direction. So, point number one, to wage that good fight, we need to have faith. Number two, we need to have a good conscience. Paul says again, having faith and a good conscience. Now, I find there's a great deal of misunderstanding when it comes, even among Christians, when it comes to our conscience. We looked at this a while back when we were in First John, but the conscience is the inner man, that the inner you and what goes on inside your mind. One person defined it as, conscience is the inner voice that tells you the IRS might check your return. Jiminy Cricket saying to Pinocchio, always let your conscience be your guide. And sometimes that is reliable, but a great deal depends on the condition of your conscience to begin with. That's why Paul says have a good conscience. The conscience given to us is so that, that when we know what is right and we know what is wrong, that we're going to do what is right and not what is wrong. Now, it's the Word of God that teaches us what is right and what is wrong. But our conscience serves as that rudder in the ship that steers the believer through the rocks and through the reefs of sin and error. That's what Paul is talking about here. Whenever God speaks and God tells us what to do, where to go, what to say, regardless of your flesh, regardless of your feelings, Obey. I mean, that's what God says. That's the way to maintain that good conscience, to go in the right direction. And if you fail, 
corrected instantly by the provision that God has made, confess, repent, you know, set it straight, then go on with God. Use that rudder of the good conscience to get going in the right direction. Now, that good conscience works with faith. It's that discipline of the mind and the will that says, I will follow the Lord and I will do what he says to do. And this brings us to our third point, and we're going to camp out here for the rest of the study. Uh, in order to wage a good warfare, we must have faith. We must have a good conscience. And then number three, prayer. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Paul starts out chapter 2, therefore, I exhort first. Now, now stop there for a minute. Before you get to what Paul is exhorting about, he's, he's wanting Tim to understand. He's saying, Tim, I exhort you. I want you to understand this. I want you to pay close attention here uh, to the Lord in faith, having a good conscience, because some people, they've, they've been shipwrecked. They failed never to get back up again. I don't want to see that in you. So the first thing that you need to do, the very first thing that's utmost important, Timothy, this is the number one most thing. It's the, the big enchilada, you know, the, the, the whole kahuna goes the other way around. Be the, be the, the whole enchilada, the big kahuna. This is it. More than anything else in the whole world, I want you to do this. What does he say? Pray. Pray. And he uses four words to describe the prayer. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. I think Paul is making his point very clear. Before anything else, Timothy, first of all, pray. And then I want you to pray some more. And then after you're done praying, I want you to pray again. And I want you to pray some more. But here's our problem. We have so many misconceptions about prayer. And sadly, because of so many misconceptions about prayer, we end up not praying at all, or at least not praying as much as we ought to. And prayer kind of takes on this attitude. Well, if all else fails, then I guess all we could do is pray. Listen, that's the wrong attitude when it comes to prayer. When it comes to prayer, there are four things that we need to remember. Number one, prayer is a matter of partnership. See, in this context, there are just some things that you cannot do on your own. There's some things that you're going to face in this life that you realize, I can't do this. You need God's ability. You need God's strength. You need God's help. And let me tell you, God will be there for you. But sadly, what happens in many of our lives is when we face insurmountable odds, problems that are so great, we end up looking every place else for help, books, seminars, you know, this teaching, we Google everything under the sun instead of looking to the sun, S-O-N. God is saying, listen, when you have a need, come to me first. Start praying immediately. That's what partnership is all about. God's ready. He's willing to meet the needs in your life if you come to him. It's a matter of partnership. Then number two, it's a matter of relationship. You're speaking to your heavenly father and he's speaking back to you through his word. And the only thing that interferes with that, we know this, is when there's sin in our life. When there's sin in our life, we've broke, broken that communication, that relationship with our father. It's like the kid that gets caught, you know, for being naughty or has been naughty and doesn't want to get caught. He's hiding behind a chair, hiding and, and you know exactly where he is. And the same thing is with God, he sees our sin. But because of that, we've separated ourselves from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Listen, the Lord's armor is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. 
That's why you need to, to realize that you need to restore that relationship with God. And in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So prayer is a matter of partnership. It's a matter of relationship. Number three, it's a matter of covenant. See, there are times when God will ask you to pray for this reason and, and this reason alone because he wants you to walk by faith and not by sight. And walking by faith means that you're going to pray before God moves. So I'm convinced that as I read through Scripture, God rarely did anything apart from someone praying for it to be done, except in those cases for, for His namesake, you know, where He'd act for His own purposes. But, but everywhere else in Scripture, we rarely see God do much in the context of meeting people's needs until they, they seek Him, until they come to Him in prayer. So it's that covenant. And then number four, prayer is a matter of companionship. If you have a relationship with God and you're interacting with Him, then that will be evident in your life and your life will reflect that communion with Him and thanksgiving to Him. In other words, you're constantly talking to Him. That's why Paul says in another place, pray without ceasing. You have that that constant relationship with that constant companionship. Now here's what's interesting. Those four principles that I just laid out, you can integrate them into these four different types of prayer that we just read here in verse 1. Let's look at those four words again. Verse 1, there's supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Number one is that supplication. That word means to make a request. It's a word where we get the word need from. In other words, what God is asking you to do is to come to Him when you are in need and pray. I mean, it's it's a kind of prayer that, that for anything at all, anything that you might need, God has promised to meet your needs, all of them. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In fact, Jesus went on to say in Matthew 6.8, For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. So He's already aware of the need. He wants to meet the need. So He's just waiting for us to pray. You know, sometimes I get the picture like behind the scenes in heaven where the angels are all there, all the legions of, of, of angels are there, different classes of angels. You have the, the military angels, and you have the messenger angels, and you have the guardian angels, and all these angels, are, they're sitting around, and they're sitting there, and, and they're waiting for you and me to pray so that God will give them marching orders to move out. Now, they're ready to go. And you and I are down here, and you're going through a trial with impossible odds, and you're going, oh, my life was so hard. I don't know what I'm going to do. What if I do this? That's not going to work out. And what if I do that? I don't manage this trial. I don't know what I'm going to do. What I'm going to do. And you have the angels up in heaven going, would you just shut up and pray already? We are ready to move. We're ready to act. Just pray. Lift your, your prayer before God. I think that's what they're waiting for. And the minute you pray... God says, okay, move. I want to send that troop over there. Okay, move it, move it, move it. You, okay, let's go, let's go, angels, you know. And they go forward. And suddenly what? Things begin to happen in the spiritual realm. Now, I think another reason why we don't pray as we should is because for some things, it's like we don't want to bother God about. Oh, that's no big deal, God. You know, you don't need to bother me on this one. I'll, I'll save talking to you for something bigger. This is just, just a cold. Yeah, I'm, I'm miserable, but I'll be fine. And you take your Tylenol and your Vic vapor rub and you got the, the the humidifier on you got the benadryl and of course you have your emodium and you're just laying there miserable but then you find out that someone has cancer and it's like oh lord god of heaven and earth heal that person touch them this is a big one god this is cancer lord god of heaven touch this person who is sick heal them lord listen 
God can heal cancer just as easily as he can heal the common cold. And it doesn't matter if it's a disease or a virus. Man, it's just a matter of prayer and praying and seeking God, big or small. God, God is, is, is going to, hey, I'm allowing this in your life because, man, I want to commune with you. I want to have this prayer relationship with you. I want to give answer to your prayers. See, God wants to have this incredible relationship with us where we go to Him for everything in prayer and He answers with in, in incredible ways. So the first word is supplication. The second word we see, therefore, exhort, first of all, supplication, is the word prayers. Now, the word for prayer in the original language is the word prayers. You might want to underline it and write next to it the word prayers. It has the meaning of the word prayers. Listen, this goes back to prayer being that two-way communication. See, there are times in our lives when tragedies we face and the trials we are up against that we don't know what to say. You know, maybe you know someone who's up there in years and they long to go home to be with Jesus and, 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 and then they take a turn for the worse. And you go, okay, do I pray that the Lord heals you or do I pray that the Lord takes you quickly? How do I pray? I don't know how to pray. Listen to Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Listen, I've found myself in prayer time like that before the Lord, where I say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. And you just go, oh, Lord. Oh, you're just kind of, kind of groaning to yourself because you just don't know. Have you ever prayed like that? I mean, it could be the death of a loved one or it could be a death of a situation in your life and you're brought into that situation and you just don't know how to pray. Here's what, what I think the Lord wants you to do at this time. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Just listen to Him. He may have a specific revelation to you that will be just for you or word that, that from Him that will keep you going. But you see, he really can't minister to you if your prayer life consists of supplications only. Lord, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need this, uh, oh, that also. See, when your prayer life becomes nothing more than talk, 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 and there's no listening, then you're missing a major aspect of prayer and communicating with God. The greatest part of communicating with God is not you telling him, but him telling you. He's got something to say to us. It might be a psalm he gives you. It might be a word, a specific verse that he, he gives with you. We need to be quiet long enough to hear from the Lord. Psalm 46.10 tells us, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Listen, when you are in the midst of a situation, let your request be made known to God and then stay quiet. Wait on the Lord. He's your creator. He wants to talk to you. Maybe at that point, open your Bible and you start reading and suddenly, man, he may give you a verse. If that ever happened to you, you know, you're reading and then this, this verse you've read a thousand times, man, it jumps off the page. You, Man, God is speaking to me. Man, it's at those times that you know that you can't deny your relationship with God because he's shown up for you time in and time again, speaking through you, to you through his word. But it takes waiting on the Lord and listening. You know, so often in our society today, we want it, now. We want it quick. Everything has to be now. If that web page doesn't load in a nanosecond, we're clicking the back button or the refresh button. If there's more than one person in line in the grocery store, man, we're looking for the next checkout stand with no one in line. There's an old Maranatha song that I think it should be brought back to life for the sheer fact that so many Christians are no longer waiting on the Lord. 
it was a song called, you guessed it, Wait on the Lord. In fact, the song itself makes you feel like you're waiting. I mean, we must wait, wait, wait on the Lord, because we must wait, wait, wait on the Lord and learn our lessons well, and in His timing He will tell us what to do, where to go, what to say. But today, we want it now, now, now on the Lord. We want it now, now, now from the Lord. Don't want to learn no lessons well. But in my timing, I want to know what to do, where to go, what to say. I mean, isn't that the way it is nowadays? See, we're told over and over again the blessings that come from just waiting on the Lord. Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen: wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isaiah forty thirty-one. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How about Psalm 40, verse 1? I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. Listen, God is faithful. No good thing will He be withheld from those who seek after Him. So just wait. Wait for Him to answer. So Paul says to Timothy, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers. And then he says, number three, intercessions. Now you can write next to that, translate that, interview. Yes, it does mean, you know, to go on behalf of someone else. Oh, I just pray for my sister here in the Lord or my brother here. But it also can be translated just talking to the Lord. Just, just common communication with the Lord. We don't have to use big fancy words like, you know, found in some Bible dictionary, you know. Nor do we need to know how to speak Greek or, or Hebrew, you know. We're just talking to the one who loves us. I mean, how do you talk to someone that you love and, 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 and who loves you and you love them? So I think it's a mistake that we make and sometimes that we come to God and we think in order for God to hear us just right, we have to be all formal with our words. And of course, use King James Version only English. O Lord, my soul is longeth after thee. O heareth me, O my God. I beseech thee, the Almighty Creatoreth. Creatoreth, I don't think that's a word, but... I'm not saying we need to be disrespectful in our prayers, but even though He is the creator of the universe, He's also our friend. Jesus died to make us friends with God our Father. God is not in heaven with a big sign over His head that, that reads, prayers heard today only in King James Version only. I mean, think about that. How would that be if I approached my, my wife, Lisa, that way for dinner? Dearest Lisa, I beseech thee on behalf of my stomachness, that thou hast prepared me thine supper. She would say, talk to me like that one more time and you won't get breakfast, lunch, or dinner, okay? So now how come when we communicate with God, who made us, the one who knows everything about our lives, why do we think we have to change the way we talk? See, it all goes back down to again, and we see it all throughout the Bible, that God is looking for us to have fellowship with Him. He's always reaching out, wanting us to spend time with Him. That brings us to number four, giving of thanks. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. That refers to prayers of praise. Yes, we, when we gather as Christians, we ought to give thanks to God. And usually, that's what we're doing as we're worshiping the Lord. Or during this time of communion, as we worship the Lord in communion. That's why worship has always been an important part of this church. And it should be an important part of your Christian life. 
Because most worship songs should be prayers addressed to God or the expression of praise and thanksgiving and adoration from His people. The songs that we sing should be words of praise and, and our focus of thanksgiving out of adoration and the greatness of our God. Now let me say this. When we do worship the Lord, we need to focus in on, on the words that we're saying, the words that we're singing. I think it's so easy just to go through the motions, you know, you know and just kind of go through. The late uh, Pastor Ray Stedman said this quote. He says, It's sometimes amusing to look out on a congregation and see them singing things you know they do not mean. I've often thought as, a, as we were singing the words, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. I wish they meant that. Then our financial problems would be over. <laughs> we ought not to sing something that we do not mean. You know, I thought about this and, and years ago, and every now and then we'll sing this song. Uh, you remember the song, I Can Sing of Your Love Forever. I Can Sing of Your Love. It's a great song. But there's a part of that song we don't sing anymore. There's a bridge in it, you know, uh, because it says, you know I feel like dancing. It's foolishness, I know. And, and, you know, I think, you know, maybe I feel like dancing, but I think maybe the congregation, maybe they don't really feel like dancing. And now you're singing something that you really don't feel like doing. And so we kind of got rid of that out of the song. But man, when we sing, how great is our God, I mean, and the whole church is singing, how great is our God, man, it's amazing. Because we're all on the same page, we're all focusing and we're all giving our hearts of praise and thanksgiving and adoration to God. That's an important part of our prayer life. That's communication, that's fellowship with God. Not only praying, but singing songs of praise to Him, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, we're, we're told. That's how to wage the good warfare. Listen, whatever it is you're going through this morning, if you take it to the Lord, bring it to Him in prayer. God is able to do far and beyond what we can even ask or think. For that reason, finally, as Paul brings this subject of prayer all together, he's been saying, I want you to pray, I want you to pray, here's the types of prayer I want you to, prayers I want you to pray. But then he gets very specific. He says, prayer should be made for all men. Then he says, especially for kings and all who are in authorities. I can say amen to that. In our modern language, Paul would be saying, prayer should be made for the world leaders, police officers on the street, all who are in authority, but especially, prayer should be made for Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, congressmen, senators. There's a, many years ago, a famous chaplain of the Senate was asked by a visitor, do you pray for the senators? He replied, no, I look at the senators and then I pray for the country. That's exactly what, that needed to sink in a little bit. You understand that. So Paul is saying we need to do. We need to pray for our country like never before, folks. We need to pray for those who have authority over us. Paul is telling Timothy, we have a great big God who can do amazing things through prayer. So don't just limit your prayer to your little own circle of things going on in your life expand them. Go big. Pray for those who are in authority. So you may, may or may not like our newly elected president, but we are called by God to pray for him, to pray for him. Here's one reason why. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says this, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. So we need to pray for our president that God will guide his heart in the ways that need to be done, governing according to God's word, that he will make decisions based on seeking the Lord first and not for political reasons, 
but, but for decisions that are right and just. Now, why does Paul say that? So that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Man, there is so much violence. I mean, out there, the protests, the anger, the signs, the lies, the mean words. God doesn't want us to be a part of all that. He wants us to pray. Why? So that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Quiet refers to the absence of outside disturbances, and peaceable refers to the absence of internal ones. God wants us to have that peace inside, and don't let what we see pull us in and get us all, all freaked out and all upset. And this, and this is what prayer brings. Finally, Paul says this, and we'll close with this, and we'll enter into a time of communion. Verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Thus, a very, very good reason we should be praying. God's desire is that all men should be saved. And His means of reaching those who are not saved is through those who are already saved, through you and me. Listen, the world is much more likely to respond to Christians who love them and are praying for them than from Christians who are slamming them and putting them down all the time. Yeah, we're to hate sin, but we're to love the sinner. That's what Jesus did. And we love them best by praying for them and lovingly sharing Christ with them. Listen, we all know that many in our society would love to see all of us Christians removed out of this world. That will happen soon enough. I think we want out of here as bad as they want us out of here, okay? However, while we are still here, we are called upon to wage the good warfare. And we do that by loving the sinner, making prayer the priority in our lives. That's what God desires for all of us. All of our weapons we have at our disposal, prayer is the most effective in changing the world around us. And my challenge for all of us is that we would become effective prayer warriors for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, as we enter into a time of communion, the most important part of communion is making sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we partake of this. We're praising God. We're, our prayers are going to God for what He's done for us. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Him, that's kind of redundant. Why would you want to, to do that? Because you don't realize yet. But here's my, my thought to you this morning. My prayer for you this morning. If you don't have a relationship with God, give your life to Him this morning. So as we pass out the bread and pass out the juice, you can partake with us and be a part of the church family. And you do that just by recognizing that you're a sinner. You need God's grace in your life. You recognize that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. You confess your sin. You invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You do that. He promises to come in and make a change in your heart. If you pray a prayer like that from your heart, God will do just that. He'll work in your heart and in your life. And so if you don't know Christ, I I encourage you to give your life to Him. And for us as believers... Man, this is the time for us in prayer through song to worship the Lord and thank Him for all that He's done for us by dying for us and rising again for the dead. I mean, He's just, just our adoration, our praise, our worship. All go to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time this morning, Lord. We thank You that we could close out this sermon, the study of Your Word, God, with communion, Lord, the, the the Lord's Supper, as it's called, Lord. It's us remembering 
what you did that night before you betrayed Lord Jesus is you took the bread and you held it in front of your disciples and you said, this is my body which is broken for you. And you took the cup and said, this is my, the, the, my blood which will be shed for you. And you said, do this in remembrance of me. Father, we are remembering back and we are praying prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of gratefulness, Lord, for what you've done for us as believers. And I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to give their life to you, Lord, that they would do so right now. That they would turn from their sin and they would commit their heart and life to you today. And so, Lord, as we pass out these elements, Lord, we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be just hearts of praise and thanksgiving for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.